0: Trail and ultra runners, what is going on? What's happening? Welcome to another episode of the Coop Cast. As always, I am your humble host, Coach Jason Coop. Exogenous ketone esters is the subject of this podcast, and it is a supplement. That is smack dab in the middle of the current hype cycle. You might have seen some elite athletes using this during competition. Claims that 60% of the pro peloton has been using it in the Tour de France. You probably saw your favorite influencer using it during a particular workout. And if you trust the fine editors over at Outside Online, ketone esters are a cure, a cure for overtraining. It is also a supplement whose use case has shifted over the last few years. You, longtime listeners of the podcast, can go way back to Coopcast number 10, almost in the single digits. One of the first podcasts that I did, I recorded with Jeff Browning, and one of the subjects of our conversation was some testing that he did on himself with some of these ketone esters during a graded exercise test to see if they would improve his performance during that test or increase his fat metabolism. The use case has morphed over the years from one that is focused on this acute performance to now we're looking at recovery aspects and aspects where where ketones could be preventative of cognitive decline, particularly during arduous and long ultras. Now with all this moving and shaking and some of the early stage development that the research is in, you can absolutely color me skeptical. So to peel the curtain back a bit, I have on the podcast today Heel Pofe, who is a postdoctoral researcher out of Belgium. He works in a lab that has been at the forefront of ketone research and has examined everything from ketones effect on cognitive function to acute performance effects, recovery aspects, and how they might actually improve the adaptive response to training. I found this conversation with Heal very practical, unhyped and he presented the research as it is, which is in its very early stage, but fascinating nonetheless. I hope you all find this conversation fascinating as well. And and with that as an intro, I'm getting right out of the way. Here's my conversation all about exogenous ketone esters with Hio Palfe. How are you? I'm doing fine. Just... The end of the day now. So oh man, I'm fun. catching you at the end of the brain fog. You can take a ketone shot and apparently alleviate <laughs> yeah. some of that. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> we'll talk yeah, about totally. that. we'll talk about that for sure, man. Thanks for uh uh thanks for joining me. First off, thanks for coming on. Um, I'm always interested to talk to people that are kind of at the foref- at the forefront of things, and kind of like watching the research that's come out of your lab. It just seems it seems like you guys are some of the only not the only people, but some of the only people that are actually looking at um, that are actually looking at this concept of exogenous ketones. And I kind of want to know before we jump into things, how did you like personally get involved in all this and like where's the root of your fascination with it? because it is a lot of work and it almost seems like you're completely immersed in it now.
1: Yeah, so actually, I started with the ketones during my master's. Uh, it was actually the first study that we did. It was already in 2016. Yeah. Which we looked at the effect of ketones in uh, post-exercise recovery. And then I started my PhD. It was purely focused on ketones. And yeah, we found some really interesting stuff. And based on that, we just continued our ketone work. And now there are uh, three PhD students working on ketones. And I'm still, as a postdoc, still working on the ketones. So we have a lot of output related
0: to our ketones. You know, I had this, I had the same conversation with uh, Jamie Burr, uh, who's a f- physiologist of in Canada. And he's, he, he and his lab have started to get into the the, the cannabis research. And one of the questions I posed to him is: Is do you want to be that guy? Do you want to be that guy where like all of your research is kind of like concentrated on this like one 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 little area? Not that you can't diversify uh, eventually, but it does seem like you guys have kind of like carved a niche out.
1: Yeah, we just yeah, we want to focus also on other aspects, and we try to do also studies just focusing on exercise per se, not looking at the ketones. But there are such interesting things coming out of the studies that we do and that keeps us going we just want to understand how do ketone works and how can we use ketones to improve performance so that's just why we keep working on these ketones
0: okay so uh you know more than anybody else that the kind of the value proposition of this has changed, at least in the public, at least in the public size, because when this first came onto my radar right around 2017 or 2018, the 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 use case for it was to use it in exercise as an ergogenic aid, much like we would use like carbohydrate supplementation or even something like sodium bicarbonate or something that was to be used acutely right before or during exercise in order to enhance performance during during that one particular bout. But it seems like over the course of the past several years that the that this value proposition has kind of like shaded and shifted and kind of morphed into into different things. Before we get into that, let's set the table on like what ketones are endogenously and in, in exogenous ketones. And then maybe we can use that as a dovetail into why all of these different use cases have started to emerge over the past few years.
1: So ketones, they are just simply energy substrates that are produced by our liver. And these substrates can be used by all different tissues, so by the brain, but also by uh, skeletal muscle. And we can use them just uh, to generate ATP, so to have energy. So it's like carbohydrates, proteins, or fats. or are like the fourth energy substrate. And because they are an energy substrate, and there have been previous research showing that ketones might be more energetically efficient. That's why the initial idea was ketones will help athletes during performance. I was all driven by a seminal study from the University of Oxford, where they showed that when you ingest ketones during exercise, you have a performance improvement. And, uh, but the problem with endogenous ketones is that they are only produced when you have low intake of carbohydrates. For instance, when you do a ketogenic diet, or you have a couple of days of fasting. But that usually is a negative for performance, especially high-intensity performance. So that's why they developed the exogenous ketones where you can just drink the ketones while you still adhere to a high carbohydrate diet. And so that's why our research, we tried to whether if we ingest the ketones together with carbohydrates, whether we can still improve performance. But there we found that there was no beneficial effect on performance. And even during real short high intensity exercise, there was even a negative effect of these ketones on exercise performance and that's why we went to look at other aspects because we heard from a lot of uh, athletes that the ketones help during intensive training periods and that's why we shifted our research to look at the recovery aspects and that's where the most of the research is going into right
0: now and it's an interesting paradigm shift because once again you have this like what I always call a bioplausible mechanism of performance of, of being an ergogenic aid. You test that you decide. And then through the research, it's determined that it's not only not beneficial, but in some cases it's detrimental. You then go back to the observational side, talking to athletes who are saying, Hey, listen, this is helping us in some way. Can we figure out what way that actually is? And now you've landed on this, I don't even know how to describe it. It's, it's not an ergogenic aid or it's it, it's almost like a recovery tool at that point. Like a lot of people think of their recovery tools as their, their guns and their Normatec boots and recovery shakes and things like that. It, is what you're looking at now somewhat analogous to that?
1: Yeah, definitely. So it's really like all the what we call the signaling effects of ketones. That's all what's emerging right now. So we also, we and also others have shown that ketones, for instance, increase uh, erythropoietin production, and that's something that goes way beyond the effect of ketones on energy metabolism. So, these signaling effects they look way more, uh, yeah, they have a lot uh, higher potential influences on performance,
0: right? So, I think what you're trying to say is that it not only impacts the body's ability to recovery. But it also can enhance the body's adaptive response to the training stimulus through certain mechanisms.
1: Mm-hmm, true. So that's what we found in our overtraining study that when you challenge your body, that their ketones will come into play and will help you to perform better or recover better. Because so far, the only beneficial effect that we saw of ketones was when we really challenge the body and when we cause disturbances, and then ketones will help you to return to normal.
0: Okay, so we're going to talk about that study in a little bit, but just to set the table a little bit more, I'm holding in my hand for the people that are watching the YouTube version of this, a 25 gram shot of HVMN ketones that I bought with my own money. There's no sponsors on this podcast as is always the as is always the case. But when we talk about the format and the dosing of the ketones that you're going to be referring to in your research, can you explain that a little bit? Because there's there's different companies and varieties and amounts that are out there. I want you to ex- explain that to the audience a little bit.
1: So when you just Google for ketones, there are so many supplements mm-hmm. coming up. But actually, so far, most research focused on the, what we call the ketone esters. Uh, you have, in general, two different forms of ketones esters. So you have the one with the ketone monoester, which uh, has uh, commercialized by HVMN as well as by ketonate. And these are the esters that we use in our research. And then there is also another ketone diester. And that's also really effective to raise your blood ketone levels. But there are also a lot of other products on the market that that don't raise your ketone levels in the blood, so, these are just a waste of money and are really the ketone esters that will help you to get any benefits.
0: I'm glad that you mentioned money because one of the things that I'm sure that you're aware of is the cost of the intervention. And it ranges anywhere from about 25 bucks to 100 bucks, depending upon the type of intervention. Can you kind of explain that landscape and then maybe wh- like why is it so expensive?
1: Yeah, it's probably so expensive because it has been patented, the ketone esters. And therefore, there are only limited companies that can produce it. And that's why it's so expensive. While all the other products that are on the market that that don't raise your ketone bodies, yeah, their price is much lower, but they are not effective. So that's why.
0: It's another another glaring issue with the supplement industry. Just the fact that there is very little regulation and people can come in with supplements that have a little bit of you know whatever the supplement might actually contain, but it's not in a biologically significant dose, or they're just outright lying of what's what's actually in there. So, needless to say, this is a you get what you pay for type of uh, yeah. uh, type of supplement. Like you have to be willing to pony up a certain amount, and we'll we'll go through how much those interventions are when we start to talk about the the research that uh, you did and how we might actually translate it into the field. But it's one of those things where it's it's going to cost you. You're not going to be able to get away with a you know 50 cent intervention like we might think of a gel right or a block yeah, or or an, or uh, some sort of carbohydrate electrolyte drink where those are you know 50 cents or a dollar a serving or something like that this is you know maybe even tenfold that mm-hmm. true
1: so therefore it's also really important that you use it right and just don't spill
0: any ketones. <laughs> Correct. I remember there was this uh, study going around the pro peloton that they had a whole water bottle full of uh, ketones that they were passing around one team and somebody dropped it. And it was like, well, that's like an $8,000 mistake at that <laughs> point. <laughs> anyway, that's neither here nor there. Okay. Let's talk about the first paper that you already mentioned, which is an over, which is an overtraining study. And, um, I was looking at this this morning and the thing that, that kind of came away from me, cause I'm a coach is you really did a good job frying these athletes. Like just the setup itself, I can tell. Knowing the setup and knowing who you're actually bringing into the intervention, you did. You probably did a pretty good job overtraining them. Like I don't know what how are they how how they were communicating to you after this three week intervention, but I can imagine (laughs) you had a lot of unhappy and disgruntled uh, uh, athletes coming into your lab every day to work out. So why don't you set the table on what exactly you were examining and what the research protocol was for this particular study?
1: So, yeah, definitely the participants were really mad at me, especially <laughs> in the final week. So the idea of the study was that we want to overreach the athletes or were just uh, healthy fit individuals. So we had them perform exercise that goes beyond what they could tolerate. So they really had to go to exhaustion every single training session. And we decided to use like healthy fit individuals rather than real athletes, as it's almost impossible to overreach a real athlete within only such a short time frame.
0: Plus, nobody's going to sign up for that. That's I mean, that, when I saw yeah. it, I'm like, it's hard to get athletes to sign up for a study where you know where they know they're intentionally going to get fried at the end of it.
1: Yeah, because it will cause a lot of uh, disturbances that are not beneficial for them. So that's indeed we had a lot of difficulties with getting these subjects in, but eventually we succeeded, and that's why when we start with the study. So we increased the training load and training intensity every week and really caused um, the overreaching during the last week of the study. And that's where all the uh, positive effects of ketones came out because during the first two weeks, we only saw some small differences. But it was really in the third week that we observed large differences between the groups. So the subjects, they performed uh, cycling almost two times a day and they did six uh, training days a week and yeah they were not used to perform yeah much cycling most of them did like two to three hours a week and we increased it to more than 10 hours so they really got exhausted during the study and then after each training session we gave them ketones or a placebo and also before sleep because a lot of elite athletes that use the ketones They mentioned to us that ketones help them sleep better during intensive training periods.
0: And how much ketones were you administering both after the session and then before sleep?
1: So both after each session as well as before sleep, we gave them 25 grams of the ketone ester.
0: Which is the recommended dosing, depending or it's about the recommended dosing, depending upon what what uh, uh, what company you're going with. I want the so I'm going to I'm going to take some liberty here and I want the listeners to appreciate the intervention a little bit more. Some of this is just once again, my bias as a coach. But you mentioned that you increase their volume, They were training two to three hours a week and you're getting up to 10 hours you increased their intensity from no intensity to some intensity, but it wasn't just that you had them do an intensity on pretty much every single day. So one day was a rest day. Then you had them uh, on the next day, you had them do a sprint interval day uh, in the morning. And then in the evening they did an endurance session. And the next day you had them do some sort of like supra threshold intervals. Like was it five minute intervals or something like that. Right. And then on the day after that, it was another sprint day. And the day after that, it was another supra threshold day. And then the day after that, you did a performance test. So it's mm-hmm. a hard workout every single day for healthy, but not competitive or elite individuals. And so you're kind of compounding all of the training variables all at once volume, intensity, and frequency, right? All at the same time to induce this just ridiculously overreached, overtrained, whatever vocabulary you want to use state. And once again, I'm I'm deliberately I'm I'm deliberately uh, emphasizing this because I think there are kind of uh, interpretations that we need to make amongst a competitive audience into how this type of overreaching and the implications of ketone use can actually go into the into the real world. You're kind of fictionalizing what somebody would do in order to get a little bit better sensitivity out of the results, essentially. So do you want to do you want to expand on the it, on the intervention a little bit more uh, a little bit more than that?
1: Yeah. So the intervention is definitely not a recommended way of improving people <laughs> because we really wanted to get them fully exhausted. So that's why we used like all these hard training days, which are not really representative for what a normal athlete would do during his uh, uh, his career. But it's more like simulating the grand tours in cycling, where we also have each day is a hard day. So it was more a bit about the background of why we choose this specific uh, paradigm.
0: That's not a bad analogy. It's the grand tour for people who've not trained on a bike before, right? Because mm-hmm. it's volume and intensity every single, yeah. every single day for mm-hmm. three weeks. Okay, so at the end of the day, you're evaluating some biochemistry as well as doing a performance test. You want to explain a little bit about that?
1: So we took uh, both muscle biopsies as well as
0: some blood samples. And that's hard too, by the way, to get elite athletes to do to, to do a muscle biopsy. It's very painful. There's some recovery that's associated with it afterwards. So you got good guinea pigs across the board.
1: Yeah, it's almost impossible to get elite athletes giving a biopsy. So that's why we also choose yep. for these uh, less trained individuals. Uh, so we took biopsies as well as blood samples every uh, on the morning before and after the training intervention, just to look at uh, all markers that have been shown to be impacted by overreaching or overtraining. Uh, this included, for instance, uh, heart rate, because we know during a grand tour that maximal heart rate will drop. And we also saw in our placebo group that maximal heart rate dropped by almost 20 beats per minute. But in the ketone group, the decrease in maximal heart rate was only half of the decrease in our placebo condition. So it really helped to partially maintain the uh, baseline values related to heart rate. Uh, So another thing that we evaluated was their energy intake, because we know that that's really gets uh, becomes problematic during an increase in intensity and training load because people are just unable to match their energy intake with their energy output. And we also observed that in our control group. We found that although they increased their training intensity and training volume, they were unable to increase their energy intake. So they got to a state of energy imbalance. While our ketone group, we saw that they proportionally increased their energy intake with their increased energy energy output. So that's really one of the beneficial effects of ketones that can help to explain the beneficial effects that we observed on a functional level. Because on a functional level, we observed that especially during the last week, the ketone group was able to tolerate a 15% higher training load compared to our placebo group.
0: Okay, so there are a number of different uh, really interesting aspects that you just mentioned. First one is the energy intake difference between your placebo placebo group and the and the uh ketone group. And this is something that we've seen in a few other studies as well. I kind of want to I kind of want to table that for just one second and come back to this aspect that you're only seeing the differences in the third week, right? So you've got this really hard, heavy and hard training intervention that you're, you know, just ridiculously overreaching this kind of normal group. You're kind of tripling or even five xing their volume. You're incorporating intensity. You're doing so on every day. They're doing double days. They're doing a performance test. There's very, there's very, very little rest. It's as you mentioned, it's completely unrealistic to do this with an athlete if you're doing a training block or even a, even in the tour. Right, the difference in 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 output would not be that dramatic between their day to day training and this type of intervention. Yet you're seeing the kind of the beneficial effects of the ketones not until the third week what can you speculate as to why that is actually the case like why does it take a couple of weeks of that load to actually see some effects flow through
1: Uh, based on novel data we have right now we believe that just the body needs to be disturbed to a certain amount to see a beneficial effect so it's not really that it needs three weeks but you just need to disturb the body To a specific, to a certain extent, before you get these benefits. So it's not really the three weeks, but really the extent of the disturbance that you induce. But also, like the energy intake could explain part of the results that we observed. But like other physiological dysregulations, like the decrease in maximal heart rate, these already started to develop already to a certain extent during the first two weeks. So it's not purely that energy intake can explain all the difference
0: so okay we're going to come back to the energy intake piece but let me let me kind of colloquialize what you're saying initially right where you need a certain level of disturbance in order to see the effects of ketones i kind of view that as is the athlete kind of really needs to be excuse my french fucked before these key before a ketone intervention may have a material impact Am I interpreting that correctly or is this just too much speculation that you have to get to a certain point and that certain point is kind of they're almost really screwed <laughs> at that point, right? They're so overreached that they're going to going to see performance declines anyway that this type of intervention may be of some benefit.
1: Yeah, that's completely what we think. And it's also aligned with the natural role of ketone bodies because they are really a substrate that also come into play uh, when it really in a case of emergency. Yeah. So you only produce ketone bodies when you're low, for instance, on your glucose and your insulin while under normal conditions, endogenous ketones will not do much. That's also what we think that happens with the exogenous ketones.
0: It's almost, so I don't want to, I don't want to like downplay the the results of this But I almost view it as an abortive strategy as opposed to an adaptive strategy. And and what I mean by that is, is let's say if we have an athlete in in kind of the real world and they go through a period of training intensification, irrespective of how that training intensification happens, they can go to a training camp, they can do a stage race, they can do kind of any number of different things that maybe you're not on the level, at least proportionally, of of what you did. You're using the ketones to either... Keep them out of an overtrained state, or if they do get into an overtrained state, kind of course correct it a little bit more quickly than they normally would be able to course correct it. Versus, or maybe you can add if this is in addition to, when they go through that intensified state, the ketones allow them to adapt further to the training stimuli. So they're literally getting more bang for their training buck. Do you have any like opinions on the on 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 the way that I've kind of like laid that out a little bit in terms of this value proposition that we keep coming back to that we keep speculating about?
1: Yeah, we really believe that ketones will also help athletes to adapt better to a certain amount of training because what we also saw in that paper was that the increase in muscle angiogenesis so increase in uh, capillaries in the muscle was increased by the ketones. And that's really a normal response yeah, to training yeah. and a primary response. Yeah. And we saw that ketones really stimulate this response. So we really think that ketones will help athletes to adapt better to training. And we have we are now performing another study in which the training load is way more representative. Of what a real athlete will do and there we still see these beneficial effects of ketones so the there needs to be a certain amount of disturbance which is also in normal athletes when you perform a really intensive training bout but it doesn't need to be that you do this every single day even if you do adjust two or three times a week you will still have potential benefits of ketones
0: Okay, I, I appreciate that uh, that that explanation because there are going to be a lot of people out there, including myself, who kind of look at this through the lens of, well, are we simply avoiding an overtraining state? Or are we trying to get out of an overtraining state more quickly, or can we use this in a normal circumstance? As your, you know, your the current data that you're collecting is trying to tease out, can we look at this in a normal circumstance as? an ergogenic aid for the adaptive processes, which would be quite interesting to be honest with you. And we've, that's been the Holy grail of all of the recovery modalities for you know decades now is not only do we have to get athletes back into the, uh, back into the training arena as quickly and as uh, effectively as possible. So their performance capacity is higher so that they hopefully can produce more adaptations, but how can we squeeze more adaptations out of the workouts that we've already done using some sort of, nutrition or recovery type of, uh, type of intervention. And this would fall into that certainly fall into that latter latter category potentially. Um, okay. So let's move on to the calories piece because all of the nutritionists listening to this podcast are saying, well, the differences that you're noticing are just due to the fact that the ketone group was able to consume more calories. And as you mentioned, meet that energy, uh, meet that increase in energy output, more effectively, I want you to kind of describe that because I, I've heard you describe a little bit of a different theory that it might not be just the energy match that the ketone group would uh, uh, happen to uh, happen to achieve. So first off, just recap the difference in those in the uh, in the in the energy consumption between those two groups, and then we can kind of go through why that might actually be the case and what the ramifications of it are.
1: So just a brief recap. So we observed that in the placebo group, the energy intake remained stable, although the energy output increased. On in the ketones, there was the increase in energy intake. And what was really striking was that the increase was purely due to an increase in carbohydrates. So we didn't tell them anything about ingest carbohydrates will help you <clears throat> to improve your performance. But just naturally, they increased their carbohydrate intake.
0: It's a free living study, right? You kind of let them do whatever they wanted to do. And it just turned out, it just happened to be that the ketone group naturally increased their carbohydrate intake.
1: Yeah, because the only thing that we standardized was that we gave them a protein carbohydrate recovery drink after each training session. And before the experimental sessions, we also gave them a standardized breakfast and dinner. But besides that, they were free to ingest whatever they want. And we just uh, tracked their dietary intake by, uh, yeah, they just had to know down uh, at what time did they eat what and how much. And so it was really surprising to us that these ketones increased their carbohydrates. And we know from previous research that when you match your energy intake with your energy output, you will improve your performance compared to when you are in an energy imbalance. So definitely these changes In energy intake and primarily carbohydrate intake can definitely explain the improved performance with our ketone group. But as I mentioned earlier, we already saw that some physiological dysregulations were counteracted by these ketones earlier. So before these differences in energy intake or carbohydrate intake emerged. So that's why we believe that not all our differences are due to these differences in energy intake. And that's also supported by a more recent study, which is still unpublished, where we find find that ingesting ketones during a normal training period, when there are no disturbances in energy intake, we still find beneficial effects of ketones.
0: And a little bit of this goes back to the Tour de France analogy, right? I mean, a lot of the tour riders were taking this and they just noticed that they had better appetites during the day and also during their evening meals.
1: And that's also really interesting, because previous research has shown that when you acutely ingest ketones, you have a suppressive effect on appetite. Yeah. you will eat less while during these overall training periods, you see the other way around. So that's really fascinating about the ketones.
0: here's here's my theory on this. I'm sure you've heard this before. They just don't taste very good. <laughs> so you take, you take something and <laughs> it tastes like gasoline. You don't want to take anything else right then and there. But then after your body is kind of like eliminated that taste from your mouth, then it, the bio- the biology can kind of kick in whatever else is going on. <laughs> yeah, <true>. Fair <laughs> criticism. Come on, fair criticism. It do, it, it's not that appealing to, it's not that like palate appealing. I guess is what I'm saying.
1: Yeah, there is still, uh, I agree that the taste is awful. So it's definitely possible that that causes the appetite suppressive effect, but it's also we detected in the hormones as well that they are changing really the appetite hormones, the ketones.
0: Okay, so let's try to encapsulate the this study as well as the study that you're referencing that hasn't been published yet. But it seems like you guys are either at the tail end, or you're just, or you're kind of like wrapping up the analysis and and kind of writing it. Mm -hmm. You can you can kind of merge the findings together and and synthesize them if we're translating this to a normal training situation with a regular athlete or a competitive athlete, that's either doing an intensified training block or just merely increasing their, 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 their volume. If they decide to undertake a ketone intervention and do it in the way that you described in the study where they're taking it after a workout and then at bed, is there any sort of reasonable benefit that they're going to see from that? And can we try to encapsulate that in how much can they improve? Or are they going to feel better during the recovery process? I mean, what does this mean in the real world?
1: So how I would advise to use the ketones during training is just to use them during intensive training periods and take 25 grams immediately after exercise and before sleep. But it will really depend on each individual, what they will notice about the benefits. A lot of athletes, they mentioned that they notice improved sleep, which is like the most common thing that we hear from athletes that they experience after the ketones. But others also found the uh, aspects related to muscle recovery and cognitive benefits. And that's also what we found in the ultra running study.
0: And we're going to talk about it in a second. But that's going to be, if you do it over, let's just say a week, a two to $300 intervention, right? Yeah. Which, so, is, which is not unreasonable for a runner. I mean, we're buying $300 shoes now. So, you know, kind of like look at these things and go, well, that's par for the course from a price point perspective.
1: But also for the sleep aspects, we have now a study that is uh, in revision where we found that taking ketone just one single day after a high-intensity exercise training, in the evening, will improve uh, your sleep. So also acutely, we can still get benefits from ketones.
0: And what's the mechanism behind that? Because once again, we've heard that from athletes. It just helps me sleep better. We've heard it, you know, reports in the field and, are, you know, kind of with, the own at- with our own athletes that we work with. What's the mechanism behind that in theory?
1: There is still some uncertainty about that, but one mechanism might be that ketones that they drive the energy metabolism in your brain. So they are used as an energy source by the brain. But another aspect that we are seeing right now is that ketones can increase your dopamine levels in the blood, but we never mentioned in the brain, uh, measured it in the brain. But if ketones can also increase dopamine in the brain, this can also beneficially impact the sleep. So that's a potential mechanism, but we haven't tested it yet
0: on everybody is uh acutely aware of sleep as an ergogenic aid and any way that you can help improve sleep especially when you can do it over the long term if it's sustainable and, and and kind of chronic um, uh, so I, I think that that's going to be another interesting area that people are going to start to focus on this on much like they do a lot of sleep supplements right now, whether it's melatonin or a lot of the, uh, herbal or, or natural uh, supplements that are out there that help enhance sleep or even the devices that are out there, the cooling pads and, you know, th- and things like that, or even the behavioral cues, right? Breathing meditation and stuff like that.
1: Yeah. There should all, it should be stressed that we don't want to say that ketones are just a sleep drug. Yeah. We just found that ketones help when you disturb the sleep. We did it by exercise. So we don't know whether it will also help just in the normal circumstances. So just use it after a high intensity exercise training, but not on a daily basis.
0: You're preemptively uh, disrupting some nutrition manufacturer out there that is going to market it as a (laughs) sleep aid or some sort or something like that. So I, I appreciate, I definitely appreciate that caveat. That will be coming probably in the next four to six months. What do you think? Ketones is a sleep aid. Yeah, we'll see that come out. Okay, let's move to the ultra running study. This is an audience predominantly consistent of Ultra marathon runners and ultramarathon coaches. And here is a paper that you guys produced. And I'm going to, uh, I'm going to go through the entire title of this, which is exogenous ketosis increases circulating dopamine concentration and maintains mental alertness and ultra endurance exercise. So you get to the results right within the title. I always appreciate that you kind of like cut to the chase, uh, but it's an ultramarathon specific paper. And one of the things that we, that any ultra runner will recognize is that a key to performance, particularly as the duration of the event goes on and on and on is just their ability to focus and maintain some level of alertness for all different kinds of activities, decision-making on nutrition, route finding, even being able to visually pick their feet up over rocks and things like that. Every ultra runner has gone through the fact that they're just more clumsy at the end of a race as compared to the beginning of the race. You're going to take more falls. You're going to roll your ankle more and things like that. You did a really neat study where you studied ketone ingestion and you measured some uh, um, some biochemical properties as well as you did uh, some alertness type of uh, uh, alertness type of testing. why don't you go through this study and what the aims of it were and how you specifically started to tease these out
1: so this was a uh, our first actually field study which we really wanted to mimic an ultra run so we just Went to a partner, and we said, "Hey, can we join your ultra run event and couple uh, do a scientific study within this event?" And so we asked participants to complete a 100-kilometer ultra run, <laughs> which was uh, performed uh, off-road. And then half of the subjects received ketone ester during the race as well as after the race, while the other half received the placebo. Because we wanted to look at two different aspects. The first one was, can ketones improve performance as well as counteract the negative impact of the ultra run on your cognitive behavior? And the second aspect is that we wanted to look at the recovery after the ultra run, because we know that with the ultra run, we will cause a lot of muscle damage to see whether ketones can improve the rehabilitation afterwards. But due to the field study nature, we were not really able to identify whether ketones will improve performance because we took some biopsies before the race and this caused some people to drop out. And because of that, our sample size decreased a bit, making it unable to really draw a conclusion on whether performance could improve with ketones. And it's also difficult to like... Uh, pair different individuals and know what their performance would be. So to really look at performance, you would need to have the participants perform one time with ketones and one time with placebo, but that's almost impossible to do. So therefore, our analysis mainly focused on the cognitive aspect. And we had them perform a reaction time test, and we found that the placebo group uh, reacted slower after the ultra run, which is what we would expect. but the ketones they did not show this decline in cognitive performance. They just performed as good after the ultra run as they did before. and that's really striking to us, so that's the main aspect of this paper. and then we looked at some potential mechanisms that might explain these differences. And that's where we found that the dopamine levels were higher with the
0: ketones. So are you saying that the effect that you're seeing within these field trials of they are reacting the same, there's no de- there's no decrease in the reaction time, is due to the increase in dopamine levels? Or is there some other mechanism at play here?
1: Uh, we speculate that it's dopamine, but we didn't mention dopamine in the brain. So we just measured it in the circulation and it doesn't reflect the brain values because dopamine cannot cross the blood-brain barrier. But there are other previous studies in animals showing that ketones really can increase dopamine levels in the brain as well. And we know from earlier research that dopamine is the crucial factor that explains the decrease in cognitive behavior during endurance exercise. So, that's why we believe dopamine is likely a mechanism. But of course, we cannot exclude that there are other mechanisms at play, such as the fact that ketones are used by the brain as an energy source
0: during exercise. So, let me ask you this. Is the lack of decline in the ketone group with any of the mental alertness tests, is the amount of that lack of decline material for performance because that's what we're concerned about concerned about at the end of the day and i completely understand that it's very hard to determine any sort of intervention when you're looking at performance in the field a compared to b because you either either have to have a huge sample size or you have to look at matched pairs, which is problematic, or you have to look at the same person doing the same thing over and over and over again, which is really difficult to design as well. But I want the I want to kind of get your opinion and also for the listeners, uh, uh, kind of for the listeners' edification as well, is, is this going to actually be, or can it actually be material for performance or is it just something that's like, yeah, well, they're better on this, but it doesn't really matter?
1: We believe that it will really help people who perform better in the longer term especially in ultra endurance where the cognitive aspect is so important because this was just a single day race which the 100 kilometer but there are much more extreme ultra run races and there it will yeah have really a significant impact on your performance
0: well, I can tell you, having done a lot of those, doing, done the Tour de Giants, which is a 330-kilometer race in Italy that you, you're you nodding, you're probably familiar with, as well as Cocodona. I was out there last weekend, which is a 250-mile race in Arizona here in the States. Cognitive performance definitely declines <laughs> the, the longer the race actually gets and the more sleep deprivation and things like that that you're going through. And it actually is a big performance consideration because uh, not only is there... Uh, Is there an effect on your, the way that you're perceiving your exertion, which is a big part of performance as well. There are also just real time decisions and reactions that you're, uh, that you're making out in the field, whether it's negotiating difficult terrain or trying to stay on pace or trying to stay on your effort level, or even, you know, your nutrition plan and things like that. Uh, so, So much so that as a coach, we're we're trying to counsel and to we're trying to come up with training interventions to help athletes overcome this specific cognitive decline and we don't have very good ones to be frank with you we're just kind of like guessing at does sleep deprivation training actually work does this type of training work or does this other type of training work so we'd be keenly interested in something that has an actual cognitive benefit that is simple to take that can be proven to be, uh, that can be proven to be effective because it will, if, if, if in fact it does actually affect cognitive performance, I would say it's highly likely to to affect the actual performance as well, particularly when the duration gets longer and longer.
1: Yeah. And also when it gets more challenging, because in our case, it was not the run itself was not as challenging because they had to do five loops of 20 kilometers. Uh, The direction was clearly indicated, so they didn't have to figure out where do I have to go. So I think really in more challenging environments, the ketones will help uh, endurance athletes, ultra endurance athletes. I
0: mean, it's almost parallel to the overtraining study, right? You have to get to a certain level before, or at least theoretically, you have to get to a certain level of distress or Cognitive or cognitive decline, right before the effect is really uh, marked enough to make to make a difference. I don't think that that's a reasonable. I, I don't think that that's an unreasonable way to look at the intervention.
1: Yeah, that's true because also earlier studies show that ketones don't improve your cognition in normal circumstances. It's just when you challenge your cognitive function, then we will see an improvement. So there was one earlier study showing that after a high-intensity exercise, their ketones counteract the decline in cognitive function. And also in older adults, we also found that there were improvements with ketones. But it's more like ketones can indeed inhibit the decline in cognitive function rather than improving cognition per se.
0: I mean, it's almost going back to the original ketosis research at that point, right? where you see se- severe declines in function and you put people on a ketogenic diet and they have some some level of improvement whether it's a physical level improvement or a cognitive level of improvement it's it's really analogous to that if you go back you know 20 or 30 years ago to that to some of that original research okay yeah, i agree on that okay so we we've gone through a few a few recent studies and you've mentioned some tangential research right that's kind of that that is emerging Suffice it to say that this is still nascent, right? This is still like early stage. And I, I really want to get your opinion as somebody who has kind of been in the weeds, but then you've also seen more of the public perception of this, uh, of these types of interventions change over time. Where are we in this whole state of understanding? I, I mentioned from the onset of this podcast that the value proposition is kind of changed and my skeptical antennas go up whenever that's the case. Whenever we think it's something and there's like, no, 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 it's not that. But we're going to try to you know, tease out some sort of improvement or some sort of meaning from it in this case. And eh, maybe it's not that case, but maybe it's this case over here. I wonder if you can give the listeners a little bit more of a lay of the land, because this is going to continue to evolve and it's going to continue to pop up in more of the lay literatures and the magazines and online articles, and even in the influencer market space as well. Can you give the listeners a little bit of an appreciation for where you think we're at and maybe where that's going to go in the next several years?
1: So it's true that indeed it changed a lot. So in beginning it was purely take heat and doing exercise, you will improve your performance. But then a lot of studies showed that it does not. And then Not only we, but also others shifted really to these effects as a recovery aid. And that's where we found a lot of beneficial effects. So it's not only on sleep. It's also like on energy intake, on physiological dysregulations. And that's also where the research is now going to. And also what has not really started yet is the clinical implications of this research. Because we know that ketogenic diets will help in certain uh, diseases, like in children with uh, epilepsy, ketogenic diet has been used. But like the ketone esters, they have not already been used a lot in clinical conditions. And that's where I believe that the research will go into.
0: Well, and usually usually once you get it into the clinical populations, then there's a resurgence within the sport populations. That's typically the cycle, right? We tend to we tend to poach things that are used on very specific clinical, either healthy or unhealthy type of populations or disease state. It kind of doesn't matter. But things that are used in that setting and say, okay, well, if we know that this is the mechanism here in this specific group, how can we exploit that? for a healthy, an elite, or a competitive group in order to enhance their, that performance. That cycle has been repeated ad nauseum, particularly in nutrition. Mm-hmm.
1: And besides the effects uh, that we observe, we're also looking at other conditions like in uh, hypoxic conditions, so at high altitude, there are also a lot of remarkable effects of ketones. And that's where a lot of research will go into during the next years, in my opinion.
0: Here's the issue that you're going to run into, though. Once you start to spread all of those things out, it be, you have the panacea effect, right? It improves across all of these different things, hypoxia, uh, intensified training sessions, recovery. You kind of like name it. And then people get really skeptical because it can't be everything to everybody. And then eventually the use cases get narrowed out. That's the, that's the run of show with most of these things.
1: But that's why we are also, yeah, like the acute study there was, yeah, like one first showing, other oh, so much beneficial effects, but then was unable to replicate this study and all other studies didn't found any beneficial effects. But so far on the recovery aspects, the things that have been shown have been shown more than once. Like, for instance, the cognitive effect that we see during ultra running has also been previously shown during high-intensity exercise. So that's why we really think that this recovery aspect is is real and we also found it like the effect during overload training now during more normal training so these effects are real or at least our opinion so far
0: so will you come back on the podcast when that study comes out and it's more practical and then we can kind of drill it down is it with cyclists or with runners
1: uh cyclists cyclists yeah it's just easier, easier in the lab yeah. to have
0: more 100 yeah. okay Last piece man i've i found that you've been very pragmatic about this, and I, I I really appreciate your 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 perspective. It would be easy to you know be complete completely overblowing some of the results from this, especially since it's relatively early or er, uh, early stage so I, I appreciate that a lot. I want to give you the floor a little bit because because of the hype cycle that has been out there with these. And you're very well aware of this. Those of you that are watching the YouTube videos is a strong nod from heel right now. He, he, he's very much aware of some of this and it ranges anything from ketones are a cure. And I'm emphasizing that word particularly. It's a cure for overtraining. Not it's going to help you not be overtrained. It's a cure. It's a cure for it to 60% of the pro peloton was using it in the Tour de France to there's it's an $8,000 water bottle. Like I kind of mentioned, like I mentioned earlier, you I want to ask you to take your science hat off because scientists tend to try to like stay in their lane and just put your everyday athlete hat on what's real and what's not out there. And what's more material to the athletes that are just training for to finish the Western States 100 or to, you know, finish the next, their next grand fondo or something like that. What does this mean from a, from a practical perspective? And can you kind of like help everybody out there, like cut through a little bit of the hype and a little bit of the clutter to some of the practical use cases.
1: So like you mentioned, ketones will definitely not cure overtraining. It will just help people to adapt better to exercise. But in this aspect, it's also crucial for an athlete to really consider, is it worth to me and have already done all the other aspects that can help me to improve performance. So I really think that ketones should be like a last, a final addition help an athlete so first you need to just have your general sports nutrition and your training being appropriate so just ingest your carbohydrates and then just use these ketones and when you really want to use these ketones they will not yeah they will just help you a little bit but they will not change your performance completely so the amount of performance increase will yeah not be dramatic but it will definitely help you during intensive training periods or during an ultramarathon. That's where the ketones can help you if you use them right. So don't use them during exercise, but just after exercise to recover better.
0: That, that's a really practical look at it because I've always looked at any of these interventions from this to the protein shakes to putting on Normatec boots where I'm kind of like limiting in, in the recovery space. Is that if you really do it right, maybe you get an extra one or 3% out of things. It's not turning you from, you know, a national level competitor to a gold medalist without the rest of the training and years of experience and, you know, correct nutrition across the board, not just these one things. And that's if, if there is a real effect for that particular individual, And we can kind of go back to a different world, right? The altitude interventions where we thought at one point that that was going to be the separator between the national level competitors and the gold medalist. And it turns out that it's probably not that big of a separator. And it's only a small separator for a certain for like a certain group of individuals for a small kind of like cohort that can adapt. They're like more uh, hyper responders, to that to that type of intervention that may or may not be the case with that with with ketones but my point with that is is that to your to to reemphasize your kind of final point is that it's going to help it's probably a little bit and you should have everything else in line that's going to matter a whole lot more
1: yeah definitely true so yeah the results that we see they look like impressive but should always be put in a perspective of an uh, athlete so also when elite athletes would use it this would can help them a little bit we would not change a lot but obviously in elite athletes just the smallest difference is already really important can be the difference between a golden medal and a fourth place so ketones can really help them but not in all cases
0: yeah I mean it's it's that it, it's the most interesting paradigm with elite athletes as you get further and further down the developmental curve, the difference in in your performance or the difference in the amount that you can improve might it might actually improve your performance dramatically because the competition gets narrow and narrow and narrower. But the interventions that you use are less sensitive to improvement, and irrespective of the intervention that you use, whether it's a nutrition intervention or a training intervention or whatever, when you're that good. Usually there's way more noise than there is signal and not that you're guessing that your training's correct or your nutrition intervention is correct or whatever, but you might get 1% here or half a percent there. And there's far more noise than there is signal when you're talking about those types of of, of, of propositions. So if anything, like I said, with the, elite, with the elite athletes, it's even harder to kind of like tease these things out if things are actually making a difference or not. And we kind of got to go back to, you know, we really don't know. We can make our best guesses, but we really don't know at the end of the day.
1: Yeah, with athletes who just rely on their subjective perception, And there is also the placebo effect that we don't know whether it really works. So it's almost impossible to prove whether it works or not with the elite athletes,
0: 100%. Okay, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, this was a fascinating uh, podcast to me. It definitely cleared up a lot of uh, cleared up a lot of questions that I had about you, you, your research and how this uh, can p- how this type of intervention can potentially be used. Where can people come to find a little bit more about your work and the lab that you're working in and really you know the work on ketones in general?
1: So, yeah, our work is always published in the scientific literature, but I'm also on Twitter, just under my name, and there I also post all our novel research, so there you can just keep track of our publications around ketones that will come out in the next uh, couple of weeks and months.
0: Mm, perfect. Well, I have to bring you back on when we can talk about a little bit more of a normal study. I'll leave links in the show notes to your Twitter profile as well as the published research that uh, you've done. Keep kicking it out. We will uh, have you back on the podcast at some point. And we got through this whole podcast without having to take a ketone shot. So maybe we'll have to rectify that next time. Thank you very much. All right, he'll appreciate it. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, folks, there you have it. There you go. Much thanks to Heal for coming on the podcast today and discussing some of this early stage research on exogenous ketone esters. As I mentioned from the onset of the podcast, color me skeptical on a little bit of this, but I am willing to look at this through the lens of what has actually been produced. And I do think that's something that we need to continually look at. One of the things that Heal and I pointed out during the course of this podcast is that if there's a use case for exogenous ketone esters, the strongest of which might be when the situation is ridiculously arduous, either in an intensified training uh, intensified training block, or during an ultra that is particularly long, and you are trying and you're trying to attenuate any sort of cognitive decline. I will open the door up for that to be a potential use case for these, but I'd like to see more research come across the wire. Ketone esters are certainly not a cure for overtraining. And if you want my humble opinion, which you know, you're listening to this podcast, so you're going to get it anyway. If you really want to prevent overtraining, why don't we just use solid training tactics and load management to stay out of an overtraining state? how novel would that actually be but i digress i appreciate the heck out of all the listeners out there if you have a ketone user in your training group please feel free to pass this podcast along to them i hope that they learn something i hope that the entire audience learns something throughout this podcast i cannot express my appreciation for you guys enough as always This podcast is brought to you without any sponsors or endorsements of any kind. And you guys know that ketones have gotten a lot of hype recently because of the influencer marketplace. You will not see that pop out on this podcast. And that is one of the reasons that I can bring researchers like Heal on the podcast. And we can talk about this in a very practical way because I am not financially beholden to anybody in any way, shape or form particularly with the nutrition supplement companies and is something that I'm very proud of. And I hope you guys in the audience can appreciate that approach that I am as unbiased and unfiltered and un- unadulterated as possible. When you hear any opinions expressed on this particular podcast, that is it for today, folks. And as always, we will see you out on the trails.